Welcome to the Hills Baptist Podcast. We're so glad you're joining us as we see Jesus glorified, lives transformed, and hope revealed in the Adelaide Hills and beyond. We hope you enjoy this message. So for those of you who were here last week, you would have seen we had, we tried something different. We live streamed, I was preaching it for done, but we live streamed across all our campuses for the first time and Hopefully that connected okay. It seemed like it went reasonably well. But we did that because we were going to be launching into our big sort of vision series for 2024 and launching the idea of all in, the idea that we were going to say, hey, God's got big things ahead of us. Let's all get on the same page and let's run together in that direction. But over the last month leading up to our all in campaign, we've done a heap of work. A whole bunch of things happened Uh, which just made that really difficult. And when I was chatting with Nick Tui, one of our other pastors, and he said, Dave, could it be that just maybe God is calling us to, to lean in before we go all in? Like, do we have to do this now? Because we're, we're going to be running on fumes if we're trying to make this happen now. And it was such a good word in season. You know when you get one of those words in season that you don't really want to hear? but you need to hear. Anyone know what I'm talking about there? And it was just a word in season. In that moment, I was like, yeah, that's exactly what we need to do. So we just felt like the Lord was saying to us as a church just to pause and to say, hey, let's lean in. Uh, And we're going to come into a series that we're calling First Love. And so last week I preached on King David and waiting by the stone Azil, recognising that before we go into all that God has called us to do, first we've got to wait. Wait on the stone that shows the way. Wait on the rock of ages. Wait on Christ. Lean into Jesus. Wait on Jesus. Listen to Jesus and let Him refresh us, renew us. Let Him bring clarity. Let Him bring courage. Let Him call us out into what He has for us, but it begins in the waiting. And so today I want to, I feel led to take us to the book of Revelation chapter 2. John Smith uh, is preaching over at Verdun today and he'll be with us next week and we'll, we'll tag team that. But Revelation 2, John is writing and he says this, to the angel, well Jesus is saying this to John as he pens This letter to the angel of the church in Ephesus write, these are the words of him who holds the seven stars in his right hand and walks among the seven golden lampstands. I know your deeds, your hard work and your perseverance. I know that you cannot tolerate wicked people, that you have tested those who claim to be apostles but are not and have found them false. You have persevered and have endured hardships for my name and have not grown weary. That's a pretty good report for a church, amen? Like you hear that and you think, yeah, good, going good, doing the right thing. That's a good, strong, solid church. Yet I hold this against you. You have forsaken the love you had at first. Consider how far you have fallen. Repent and do the things you did at first. And if you do not repent, I will come to you and remove your lampstand from its place. But you have this in your favour. You hate the practices of the Nicolaitans, which I also hate. Whoever has ears, let them hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To the one who is victorious, I will give the right to eat from the tree of life, 
which is in the paradise of God. Many years ago, when my beloved wife and I had first started dating, we'd been dating probably for about, I reckon, maybe a month at best. And we were sitting at her friend Rachel's house and Rachel popped out of the room and we were just chatting. And I remember Joe said to me, uh, we started talking about what we're gonna do for dinner that night. How many of you, when you started dating, guys especially, started going to your girlfriend's house for dinner because her mum was a better cook than your mum? Anyone? I'm the only one, right. So I, I found myself constantly like, can I go to your house for dinner? My mum's lovely, but cooking wasn't her forte back then. And so I'd always wanna go there. Anyway, we're talking about dinner. And I was like, oh, I've been there. I've been there a few times in the last week. Do you think she'd mind? And Joe said, they love you. But what I heard was, I love you. And it was this moment, this awkward moment where I'm sitting there and I thought, oh, we're going there. We're doing the I love you thing. And so she's done the whole, I thought, I love you. And I remember looking at her and I was like, yeah, I'm in. I feel like God told me that we're going to get married from before this even happened. So I was right there with her and I was just like, I love you. And then the look on her face (laughs) said, I wish you could see it as I could see it in my head. It said about a million different words, this look of confusion, fear, uh, utter terror that she's going out with this guy who before a month is like, I love you, I'm going to marry you. And so she just goes, oh, I, I really like you. At which point, in my mind, I'm going, oh no, she said, they love you, not I love you. And I'm like processing this whole thing. I thought, what do I do now? Because I've said I love you, but I said it in response to something I thought she said. And technically, because I interpreted what she said as this, she's taken it back, so I could probably take it back too. And so in that moment, I said, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. That's what I mean. I really like you as well. And I'd love to come for dinner. To this day, she still mocks me about the fact that I took back, I love you. (laughs) Word of advice is one thing that I have learned in life. Never tell, especially guys, if there's any young people here, where's our young blokes over there? If you're going out with a girl, do not tell her that you love her and then take it back. It will not go well for you. But here's the funny thing about that. As I sort of professed, I love you with my words and then retracted that, Joe knew I was in. So words, words mean stuff, right? Words are important. But I think the reality is that actions are far more important. Because we can sit there and say things with our mouth. We can be, I love you, or we can be, I'm in, I'm doing this. You know, we can, we can say a thousand different things, but unless our actions follow suit, words can be meaningless. What the more important thing to do, in my relationship with Joe, yeah, I said, I said I love you and I took it back, but my heart was in, I was all in. And my actions showed that. She didn't need to worry about this guy flipping and flopping because she knew she could see it in me. I was all in 
And I was committed to her and that was always going to happen. And it was only a couple of months later probably that we corrected that and agreed that we did love each other verbally and all those sorts of things. But it's the, it's the actions that matter. And what I find fascinating about what John, what Jesus is saying through, through John as he pens the letter of Revelation, the letter to the church in Ephesus, is he's saying, here's a church that is saying the right things. They're, they're going about, you know, doing the stuff that the church should be doing. And he goes, but there's something wrong in your heart. There's something in your heart that's shifted. Because it's far more dangerous not to retract something with your mouth, but to retract something from your heart. And we know this in relationships. It's easy to say the words, hey, I love you, or, you know, I care for you. Or it, we can say what we want to say, but if our hearts are growing cold, we can feel that there's a distance growing in a relationship. And marriages are in trouble when the heart grows cold. How much more so with our relationship with God? We can come to church and we can sing all hail King Jesus. We can sing worthy is the Lamb. We can sing I love you Lord and I lift my voice. But the question that Jesus is wanting to know is but where is your heart? Where is the heart? Where is the heart posture? Does your heart burn for me? Are you all in? Are the actions and the words of your mouth an overflow from the position and the posture of your heart or are they just doing religious things? And so Jesus would come to the church of Ephesus and I believe he's coming to the church of today and he says, hey, there's a lot of good stuff happening. You're working hard, you're doing good things, you're protecting uh, good sound doctrine, you're teaching the right stuff, but I've, I've got an issue with you at the moment. And that issue is that that fire that once burned, that passion that once burned deep and bright, that love for me that just causes the overflow, that it's beginning to grow dim. I have this against you. You have forsaken your first love. You know, I've sat with this over the last month and I'm like, Lord, you know what the psalmist says where he's like, Lord, search me, search my heart, see if there is any offensive way in me. Lord, don't let that first love grow dim. Don't let me be so busy in the doing. Don't let me be so caught up in saying the right things and ticking the right boxes and holding the church to account. Don't let any of that, like I would rather all of that fade away and be nothing but me and you. Let that fire burn bright. Because you know, the church of Ephesus, as I said, it was a great church, right? Like we've got the letter to the Ephesians and you've read that. Paul wrote to the church in Ephesus a beautiful like, explanation of the gospel. Paul led in Ephesus for a few years. Timothy, Paul's protege, was a pastor in Ephesus. The, the Ephesian elders we read in the book of Acts, like they, they were a passionate group of people. They loved Paul. They prayed. They were people of prayer. They were an incredible church in the first century. Ephesus was a vibrant, thriving community of faith in a really uh, difficult cultural city. 
where the world, the pressures of the world were really strong. Like it was one of the, the key kind of cities in the area where there was a whole lot of stuff. It's like the Hollywood of the day. So there was a whole lot of cultural things which would come against the church. And so Ephesus learnt to be a church that stood firm on the Word. They learned to be a church that stood firm in sound doctrine, that knew what the truth was, stood on the truth, taught the truth. Like this was a big focus for them. It had to be a big focus for them. And so they grounded themselves in that. And there's an encouragement that comes now probably 20 odd years after Timothy's probably moved on. They're like, hey, you're still doing great things. You're, you're not allowing false teachers to come into the church. You're doing a lot of good stuff. You're doing good work. But I have this against you. It's great to do the work, but where's your heart? Ephesus, where's your heart? And I think for the church in the West today, it's easy for us to be on about Sound doctrine, especially in the cultural climate we're in, yes. Like we're a Bible-believing church here at Hills Baptist, aren't we? Yes, we are. We stand on the truth of God. We fight for the truth of God. We believe that God's Word is so, so, so important. And we wanna make sure we're teaching sound. We wanna do all of these things. But if our hearts aren't sold out to Christ, what is the point? He says, you've forsaken your first love. How do you reckon that hit him? How do you reckon that landed? Yeah. Like you're sitting here like, we're doing so much great stuff. How many of you know sometimes we need a little on the cheek from God? Anyone? I do, all the time. Sometimes we need just like a word in season like this to come along and be like, oh, flip, like where is my heart at? And there's no doubt that John, now Grandpa John really, writes this letter with love in his heart, the very words of Christ that have been spoken to him prophetically as he speaks it to them. There's no doubt that this hits them hard. And I want, to, I want us to look today as he goes, what do we do as a church when this is the case? What do we do? Because one thing to go, yeah, you know what, where is that love? But what, how, how do we move forward from there? What steps do we take? What does it look like for us? Is it just a, a, an ethereal thought that we're like, oh, well, all right, God, how do I fix this? How do we get to that place where that first love is burning bright? And the beautiful thing about Christ is that He always gives us those next steps. And so as we look at this, this passage in Scripture right here, right now, we see that there's just a couple of clear steps that Christ is calling the church back to. And it begins with this. He says, consider how far you have fallen. What do you do when love grows cold? What do you do when the heart grows cold? First and foremost, remember. Remember how far you've fallen. What he's saying is, remember, like go back to the beginning. Remember what Christ has done. Remember who He is. Do you know what? This isn't a new word. This is not a new word for the church. It's not a new word for the people of God. This is something that in Deuteronomy 8, Moses had to remind Israel, do not forget 
Don't forget God, because what's gonna happen is right now you're really excited. God's done this incredible thing. He's delivered you, like He's brought you into freedom and you're like, Rah! and we can be like that when we first come to faith in Christ. How many of you just recently have met or you know, seen someone or led someone to the Lord? Anyone? Anyone like around a new, like a really new vibrant Christian or maybe you're a new vibrant Christian in the room. There's something about someone who's first come to faith and they're just like ready to run through a brick wall for Jesus, yeah? Like filled with fire, filled with passion, filled with vigour and sometimes we can look at that and be like, gee, they're full on. Wish they'd just settle down a little bit. But what we should be thinking is, what's happened to the fire in my heart? Don't forget what Christ has done. Don't forget the Lord, as it says in Psalm 103, forget not the Lord and all His benefits. Let's remember, let's begin by coming back, constantly coming back to the cross, constantly coming back to the finished work of Christ and all that He has done. And there are just so many incredible things that we can focus on of what Jesus has done. We sung about it right here, right? Like we sung about the the penalty of sin that He has dealt with. Do we really sit at the cross fix our eyes on Jesus and just put ourselves at His feet and go, wow. There's a beautiful, that, uh, beautiful passage in Isaiah 53. Let's go there as a, as a church. You go to Isaiah 53, We know Isaiah 53 is that messianic, it's a prophecy about what, who Jesus is and what, what He was going to come and fulfil. And verse 12 says, Therefore I will give Him a portion among the great. He will divide the spoils with the strong. Man, there's four things that it reminds us of that Jesus has done. And this is what Jesus came and fulfilled because He poured out His life unto death. Jesus hung on a cross so that we could have life. He was numbered with the transgressors. Jesus died next to people who deserve to die. He hung there with people who are worthy of death. We were worthy of death. He was not worthy of death. And He poured out His life unto death and He was numbered with the transgressors. And He bore the sin of many. He bore the sin of many. He took our sin upon Himself, every single person. Not one of us here are perfect, pure, righteous. No one apart from Him. He was the only one who was pure, perfect, spotless, righteous. And yet He died that our sin might be be cast upon Him. He who knew no sin became sin that we might become the righteousness of God. It's an incredible thing to pause and sit and remember what He has done. Don't ever outgrow the cross. 
Sometimes I think it's like at the more spiritually mature we get, we think we need to go on to doctrines of predestination and, uh, you know, all of the end, end times theology. Like we, we wanna focus on everything but the cross, but we can never become too spiritually mature for the gospel of Jesus Christ. The gospel is the meatiest, weightiest stake, spiritually speaking, ever. Don't outgrow the cross. Sit at the cross and remember what He has done. And a part of that, friends, is the end here. He made intercession for the transgressors. Do you know the thing about Jesus? He spent 30 years of His life living just the family life in obscurity. He spent three years of His life in like world-changing ministry, doing miracles, incredible work, dying on a cross. He has spent the last 2,000 years in intercession for you. Have you thought about that? It says that He is at the right hand of the Father interceding for the church. Jesus, it's not like He's up there, He's like, I've finished the work, now I'm doing nothing. No, He is interceding. He's given His Spirit, but He is interceding on our behalf and has been so since the moment He ascended. He is the great intercessor on our behalf. Jesus is praying for you (laughs) to the Father, for me. Isn't that incredible? That He has seen us and He is still advocating and working on our behalf. And the days when we come to the end of our days that we will stand and if we have given our lives to Him, that we will be found in Him. That we are clothed in Christ. That the Father doesn't see our flaws and our our constant stuff-ups and our constant wondering. He sees the Son, He sees the perfection of Jesus and He says, well done, good and faithful servant, enter your rest. Don't ever forget what God has done. Remember, remember, remember how far we have fallen. How do we get that flame burning bright? Remember, in a marriage relationship, how do you get the flame burning bright? You've got to look into each other's eyes. You've got to spend time with each other. You've got to actually remember. Remember that love that you had at first. Remember, as Colin Buchanan says, remember the Lord. Oh, anyway. It begins by remember. Number two, what does he say to do? Repent. Remember how far you've fallen. Repent. What is repentance? Turning around. Repentance is a simple stopping and turning and putting our eyes on Him. That's what repentance is. It's a turning around, it's a going a different direction. It's saying, okay, if that first love is waning, if that first love is growing dim and I'm over here, I remember what Jesus has done and repentance is simply, well, hang on, I'm gonna stop prioritising all the things and I'm actually just gonna return to Him. It says, remember, it says, repent. Jesus came preaching, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. 
we cannot enter into the fullness of what Christ has for us without repentance. We live in a world that wants to say that you are just okay as you are. Guess what? You're not. Neither am I. That's the whole point of the gospel. I am a wretched sinner who needs saving. Yes, Jesus loves me as I am. Yes, Jesus came for me just as I am. Yes, I can do nothing to earn my salvation other than believe in Him. But that doesn't mean that I'm like, oh, well, I'll just carry on doing it. All the works that I've done for. No, it's, it's a repentance. It's a turning towards God. And it's through repentance that we begin to enter into the life that Christ has for us. We remember, we repent, we turn and we face towards Him and we set our eyes towards Him. We gaze upon Him because our attention will determine our direction. You ever tried to drive by looking out the window and go that way? I hope not. (laughs) Because where your attention is, that's where your direction goes. Even just this morning, Hannah walked into the door. It was hilarious because her attention was elsewhere. (laughs) Sorry, Hannah. But it's true, right? Like where our attention is, that's where our direction is. Are you with me? And so when our attention is towards Christ and our direction begins to go towards Him. And if so if that first love is waning, if we feel like I'm just going through the motions and we need to actively fix our gaze upon Him. That's why Paul says, fix your eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of your faith. Because that's how we begin to see, like the more you focus on what He's done, the more that starts to burn and becomes a reality. And then the third thing where he says, It's fascinating, actually. Remember how far you've fallen, repent. And then he says, and do the things you did at first. So we've got to return to the practices we did when that first love was burning. And this seems weird, yeah? Because isn't the gospel about not what we can do, it's about what he's done for us. The beautiful dichotomy of the gospel of of the Christian life, that Christ has done everything and yet He calls us to participate in that work that He has done. Do the things you did at first. Even though He's kind of been like, you're doing all this great stuff. You know, you persevered, you're working hard, you don't tolerate wicked people, you're preaching the truth, you're holding false prophets to account, you're enduring hardships, you're not growing weary. All of that stuff we're doing, and he goes, you know, hold this against you, you've forsaken the love you have at first. And then he's like, return and do. What is he calling them to, like, what do they have to do? (laughs) Remember, repent. But the more I've thought about this, it's got me thinking about those, the five love languages. How many of you have read the book, The Five Love Languages? If you've never read it, it's a fascinating read. But the picture, the picture of the five love languages is that any relationship, any human being, there's five ways that we sort of experience love or, or want to be loved and want to give love. And this book is really interesting. It's based on psychology, it's based on science, but it's also deeply rooted in Scripture because all of it is represented in the way that Jesus demonstrated love to His disciples and love in the world. And this is what it it, it suggests, that there's five love languages. One is physical touch. One is gift giving. One is words of affirmation. 
One is time, both quality and quantity. Yes? How many of you are quality time people? We're not very sort of, you know, participatory here at Lobethal. Let's get moving. How many of you are quality time people? Let's be honest. How many of you are physical touch people? And acts of service. Did I say words of affirmation? I did. So physical touch, gifts, words of affirmation, quality and quantity time, acts of service. These are ways that we experience and express love. And there's different elements of that. Like we all sort of have a a preference or, or a higher degree of need in particular areas. And so if you're a couple and you have the same love languages, that's really great for you because if you both want physical touch, wonderful. If you both want quality time, wonderful. But when you're a couple and you're on polar opposites of that scale, what does that require? Work. Right? Work. And it's actually, it does take work. This is what he's saying. You've got to do the things you did at first. And in the early days when the flame's bright, just after you've told your girlfriend that you love her and then you've taken it back and then you realise, no, I do love her, it takes work. So when when their love language is quality time and yours is words of affirmation, what you've got to not just write letters all the time, you've actually got to go and spend time with them. But then they can't just go, well, I need time. They've actually got to write letters to you or speak words. Like it's give and take, right? Here's the thing. I think God has all five of those love languages because that's where they come from. We're made in His image. Jesus demonstrated all of them. So for us, what does that look like for us in in fanning that flame and returning to the works that we did at first to, to show and express physical touch. God is spirit, but what is that like? How do we physically take steps of action? How do we, you know, maybe for you it's raising hands. I don't know what it is, but how do we demonstrate gifts of bringing offerings to God, words of affirmation, speaking words to God, prayer, reading the Word, Quality time, actually setting time aside for God. But you know what? It's not just quality. It's not like, all right, I've got my half an hour slot in the morning with Jesus, then I'm done. But it's quantity. Because again, look at a marriage relationship. The church is the bride of Christ. You don't spend 13 hours a day just sitting on a chair, looking in each other's eyes and just being like, God, you're amazing. Maybe some of you do, but that's not my world. (laughs) But you do spend an awful lot of time just doing life together. Yeah? Yes? I think God's the same. I think God is with us in our wandering. I think as you're doing the mundane tasks, dishes, gardening, like whatever it is, you can be sitting there and you can just be recognising that the Spirit of God is is moving and He, He... just acknowledging that He is with us. Turning everyday mundane moments into prayer. Thank you, Lord. You walk outside today and you walk, you can just go, thank you, Lord, for a sunny day for once. This spring in Jesus' name. You know, with, with that quality and quantity time and then acts of service, how can we actually take this faith that He's given us and put it into action? It takes work, it takes time, but it's as we actually take those steps, it's the first Timothy 1.7, we begin to fan into flame. 
I think sometimes that first, first Timothy passage, we want to turn that into a story of like the gifts of the Spirit. We want to turn that into, I've got to practice the gift of administration. Of the. That's not what he's talking about. He's talking about faith that God has put in Timothy. And he's like, fan into flame. Don't let that faith grow cold. Don't let the, the passion for the gospel grow cold. Don't allow the things of this world to become more important than the truth of the gospel and what Jesus has done. Fan it into flame. We can't create the flame. Holy Spirit lights the flame in us as the gospel, as we read the Word of God. As Jesus is the one who builds faith. Faith is a gift, but we have a responsibility to fan it into flame and to fan it into flame in one another to encourage one another and all the more as you see the day approaching, to build one another up in the most holy faith. That's why we get together as as men, why you get together as women, why we get together in in groups, why we gather on Sundays, why we do life with one another, to encourage one another, to fan faith into flame that we might be spurred on, that the, the love of God would grow in us. That when I'm feeling weary and when things are feeling like that first love is growing faint, I've got someone who puts their arm around me is like, hey, remember, remember what Jesus has done. Don't lose sight. Turn your eyes upon Jesus. Look full in His wonderful face. And what does it say? And the things of earth will grow strangely dim. In the light, come on somebody in Lobethal, of His glory and grace. But if our attention is always over here, we forget the glory and grace of all that Jesus has done. So we have to remember, repent and return. And I promise you, God will breathe on that flame. It's not a works-based theology. It's not striving for acceptance or approval or forcing a feeling of love. It's about walking with Jesus and it's about allowing Him to light that fire afresh. that we might go into the world as torchbearers that we're called to be. Simply enamoured with Jesus. And when we're enamoured with Jesus, when we have been waiting on Him and reflecting on Him and when we know that I'm just a wretch without him and that light and that love of Jesus burns bright within us, I promise you, you'll start to talk about him to others as the treasure shines bright through the vessel that is just a jar of clay. Team, you can come up and we're going to close. But I feel that I just want to offer an opportunity for us this morning for prayer.
an opportunity for anyone, and maybe it's all of us, to simply say, Lord, just breathe on that flame. That first love has grown dimmer than it should be. And I want to burn bright for you. And if that's you in this place, we'd love, I'd love to pray just for us as a church that we'd be a people who are burning bright. And I'm speaking here as a pastor who literally had this exact thing just in the last month, last couple of months. Like I was running around doing a whole lot of work for Jesus. And there's lots going on in our church. And I was like, Lord, I'm serving you. But I had to come to a point where I had to realise, do you know what? I actually think the flame's not where it needs to be. And I, in a moment in prayer, hanging out with some friends, I felt like God just said to me, Dave, far too much of your prayer life is on the run. Yep, you're spending some quantity time with me, but there's no quality time here at all. You're doing a lot of work. You know the stuff. But where's the fire? So I had to remember, repent, and return. And I think it's not just a one-off thing. I think it's a lifestyle. Repentance is a lifestyle We've got to constantly be remembering. Repentance is a constant repentance, constant turning towards God. And it's something we do together. So would you stand to your feet? Thanks for listening to the Hills Baptist Podcast. If you'd like to partner with us in developing and equipping passionate disciples who love God, love people, and boldly share the gospel, you can do that at hillsbaptist.com forward slash giving. We pray this message has empowered you to live and love more like Jesus. Have an amazing day.